Today's episode is sponsored by Mempho Music Festival, taking place October 6th and 7th at Shelby Farms Park. Stay tuned for more information on how you can win a pair of tickets to this year's festival. TheOAMNetwork.com Power to the podcast. Like one night I was on YouTube and I got in this really deep hole of videos, conspiracy theories about how there's two Andrew WKs and they, they only hired the one. The one was an actor from the get go. And it was like a bunch of like these, um, corporate fat cats who got together and they're like, it's like, we're going to, we're going to create like subliminal messages (laughs) and we're going to create this guy who like wants people to party. So they buy more stuff. Like we're going to create, Yes. A good environment for people to buy stuff. And there's two of him because one man could not party that much. Well, like one, <laughs> one needed a night. One, uh, this the the popular story was like one like there's this concert I think up in New Jersey and everyone who was there was like that's not Andrew WK, and he like the guy he got booed off stage because every, every, the reports are that like it was obvious like they hired a replacement for. <laughs> And, if, and like, if you look at pictures, people are like, oh, you can tell it's two different people from the beginning. Like, this guy's more polished. And um, there's this even thing, like, when he got into this whole thing where he was uh, going to colleges doing motivational speaker, like, someone asked about it. Like, someone asked, like, hey, um, is, it, is it true that, like, you're, like, two, two you're an actor? Like, this is not... And he said, I'm trying to get this as verbatim as possible. He said that um, I'm, I'm not the man I was back then. And he says, I don't mean that like in any type of like psychological like way. I mean, like literally, I'm that's I'm not the man that he, he said, like, I don't mean that in some bullshit way. He's like, I that's that wasn't me. I'm not the man. I'm not the man I was back then is the funniest answer to that question. Right. In <laughs> So anyway, that leads me to believe like, oh, this was all a publicity stunt. Like someone yeah. created this. Like there's this whole thing where his website got hacked and like these allegedly like cryptic photos got uploaded and there was someone who was like listed as executive producer on his first album, started sending coded messages. That's genius. It's crazy. And I don't, I probably, did, it didn't work because I'm the only one who knows about this, I think. <laughs> I'm the only I mean, like, you made that video and I hope it gets more views. Well, you know. Welcome to Dr. Heckle, the science communication podcast that tells you what we do ain't make-believe. People say I sit and try, but when it comes to being Daylaw, it's just me, myself, and I. On today's episode, giving ecstasy to octopuses, a food science fraud, and being dehydrated at the 1904 Marathon. Welcome to Dr. Heckle, the science communication podcast that from now on will no longer play Mario Kart as the character Toad. (laughs) With me on the show today with a degree in cognitive neuroscience from the University of Nevada, analytical chemist, Nicole Kolinich. Nice to be here. And with a Masters of Business Administration from the University of Memphis, Comedian Benny Elbows, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, uh, so Benny, uh, you, it's been a good eight, nine months, maybe close to a year since you were on the show. Has it been that long? It's been a, it's been a little while. Seems like only yesterday. Yeah. 
It doesn't seem like that to me because I've been doing this a lot. <laughs> oh yeah, like uh, yeah, I guess so. Like if you're here like every week, then I guess <laughs> I guess it would make a difference. But uh, but uh, since we last spoke, you've actually embarked on a new comedic venture, uh, the Bluff City Liars. Yeah, and uh, an improv comedy group. So uh, I would, if uh, you're feeling amenable, uh, tell our audience a little bit about the Bluff City Liars. Well, we are improv. We're, we're specializing in long-form improv. It's not something that um, has been... Um, well, there hasn't been too many people doing it in Memphis. And we... Well, we just wanted to try it out. And uh, we've had great success. We're uh, members at, at Theater Works now. So um, we'll be doing shows. We've already had two weeks there. Uh, both were great successes. A lot of great reviews. Um, so we have that. We're looking for... A monthly show we're going to start doing, but it's long-form improv, which means it's scenic in nature, sometimes narrative, sometimes more absurd, sometimes um, just weird, but it's usually funny. So um, check us out on Facebook if you want, The Bluff City Liars. Uh, we'll be doing shows. Like I said, we'll try to get a monthly show here up and running pretty soon. Great. And how big, how big is the troupe? How many uh, cool members are there? How many cool members? Well, core. Just, oh, core. core. Oh, how many cool me. members and how many yeah. losers? How not, many losers are in your improv Not that you troop, bring Benny? it up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have. Well, I guess right now we have eight. Um, uh, I mean, it's kind of flexible. We have some people who are kind of like um, taking a break right now, but uh, eight core members at the moment. Very nice. Very nice. And um, so you're, you're at Theatre Works, you think if you, you might be able to get a monthly show there, or are you looking for other spaces? Um, unfortunately, just the way the Theatre Works schedules, we would have to take a midnight show. And, you know, Freak Engine did that for like 18 years and were successful at it. Um, but part of that was because they were able to build that up over time. So I would probably look for some place that we could have maybe a better time slot, maybe something that's more accessible to people than you know, midnight on a Friday or Saturday night. Um, I don't know. I hear they're building a theater here at Crosstown. That's pretty cool. Maybe, maybe something. You're looking there. for an inn. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You know, I was back there. I think it's that building uh, on the, uh, the North side here. I think it's pretty, it's looking pretty cool. I was, uh, I was back there earlier. They might be, uh, you know, if they're, if they're just opening it up, they might be uh, absolutely desperate for it. So, you, you never, you never know. And that's, that sounds that sounds yeah. perfection for, for you, sir. Well, yeah. Any, any, anyone, anyone that'll have us, well, you know, we love improv, we love performing. So, any opportunity we have, we're we're probably going to take it. Great. Well, if the uh, owners or purveyors of Crosstown are listening, hit up Mr. Benny Elbows. You know, if they don't, I have some. Uh, secret documents that may persuade them otherwise. <laughs> I have some stuff that maybe they don't want people to see. A dossier, if you will. A dossier, if you will. <laughs> Am I trying to blackmail people on, the, on a podcast? On their own turf. <laughs> on their it's own it's turf. Impressive. It's impressive. If only they listen. If only. You can't be blackmailed if you don't know it's happening. <laughs> Ooh, I think you spot a hole in my plan. <laughs> uh, so, Nicole... You have not come here with the intention of blackmailing anyone. Uh, you're an analytical chemist. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that uh, that work, but also how uh, you got to the position of of being a scientist? Uh, I started working in uh, labs when I was in college, and that led me into cancer research for about five years. 
I was running a lab at the university. And then I decided to go to public health for a while. Got to go to Burning Man and hand out condoms and things for general uh -huh. health. It was fun. Uh, and then I just started tutoring. Ended up in Memphis because I got a job working at the Orthodox Jewish school in town. I lasted two years, which if you know me is amazing. That I would last at that school for two years. <laughs> um, but I taught a bunch of different sciences. Then I was at Mace Middle School, which is off of Jefferson, just down the road. And I loved that, but... 150 kids every day. I just got really, really tired of it. Uh, so I wanted to get back into science, and that's how I ended up where I am now, which is Natureplex Pharmaceuticals. It's a little company in uh, Olive Branch, Mississippi. But they make generics of all the things that you spend more money on at Walgreens. Like, you buy a hydrocortisone for $5, we also make it. So you can get the $5 version, or you can get the $1 version at Dollar Tree. Mm. So it's like we just make generics of everything. And so what I do is I help with formulation, coming up with new products, and then everything that we make needs to be tested through quality control. So if we say that we have 1% hydro in something, I need to say that it's there. So we test everything in-house that we make before we release it, and then we develop methods for testing new products as they come in. Great. Well, that's a, that's a very important space, actually, because uh, it effectively keeps you know the market in check with yeah it's a weird little niche i was like quality control it's gonna be boring and it's actually really interesting uh and it's interesting to see it in different industries um but i've been there almost two years and i've gotten to do a lot of things that you know if you're at a bayer and you start at their labs they're like you do this one thing and you don't get to do anything else but where i am it's like be our microbiologist run our hplcs which is just a way of separating compounds out of things and there so it's like i get to do a lot of different things that i wouldn't get to do anywhere else are these um out of patent pharmaceuticals so anything that's yeah so any sort of generic because they're not anything injectable there's okay. nothing that you know is going to go into you well our enemas and our douches <laughs> but that's about it uh, yeah, if you use just, them right, yeah. If you use them really good but anything but please don't uh yeah it's just um any sort of generic. Okay. Yeah. Well, and you, uh, you came from equally important work uh, handing out condoms at Burning Man mm -hmm. because I don't think the world needs two people that meet at that festival to be breeding. No, I mean all the condoms. <laughs> I think there was a, a non-potable water truck that, they, that like naked people would run behind in the mornings to take their showers. I'm like, that's dirty sewage water. But it works out in the end because then they're not going to get together. They're not going to breed. Well, if they both smell like that, then maybe. That's true. I know I've heard it's gotten worse. Every picture I see from it now, because I was at it 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah. And in what way has it gotten worse? It's just got more filthy? More, or... rich, pe more rich people. Okay. You yeah. know, the standard. The more rich people there are at something, the less interesting it is. Oh, I thought you meant they just heighten the grossness. Like every year they have to, they have to top the previous. Right. We were looking for somebody who was, um, the whole point with public health was not just a handout, uh, health compounds but it was also um we had the food safety guy with us because somebody was selling was giving out sushi at burning man out of a van and oh, so he just goodness. wanted to find where they were and nobody would give this man up they're like no i haven't seen him and i know what you're talking about the elusive sushi man i mean i wouldn't have given him <laughs> up either if i ran into him i would not have said where he was no snitches no snitches no. yeah yeah snitches get stitches <laughs>
The second annual Memphis Music Festival will take place this year on October 6th and 7th at Shelby Farms Park. This festival will feature headlining performances from Grammy Award winners Beck and Phoenix and the Grammy-nominated Janelle Monet. Also performing are modern hip-hop supernova Mr. Post Malone and the legendary MC Nas. My personal favourite is the indie dirty man Mr. Mac DeMarco. The lineup features international acts and Memphis local legends. Visit memphofest.com for more information and to purchase tickets. See whether you're going to camp out See whether you're just going to go for the day. Dr. Heckle is partnering with this festival to give away a pair of two-day passes to one of our lucky listeners. In order to win, you must follow both Fest and Dr. Heckle on Instagram and leave a comment on our giveaway post tagging a friend you'd like to take to the fest. We are on Instagram at DrHecklePod and you will find out all the details of the competition right there. The OAMnetwork.com. All original podcasts released weekly in Memphis, Tennessee. Welcome back to the Dr. Echo podcast. We move on to our news item for the week. Today's article comes from Vox and it is titled, A top Cornell food researcher has had 13 studies retracted. That's a lot. And, uh, the subheading is, here's how Cornell scientist Brian Wansink turned shoddy data into viral studies about how we eat. Now, Naraj, you actually uh, chose this article today. Uh, can you tell us why you, why you uh, picked it out? Well, as the title says, it's a lot. <laughs> like, and six of them were all in one day. Like they had. So I was talking to someone who works in HR and I was just like, I would hate to be Cornell HR right now because that's a massive fire that they have to put out. Because this guy's like a big deal. Mm-hmm. He's in. He's behind the hundred calorie packs, I believe. He that was one of. Then I'm things. glad that this is taking him down. Right, because so, yeah. no one needs it. That's <laughs> like if those are papers, right? Thirteen papers. Yeah, that's yeah. a career for some people. Yeah. Right, like that's yeah. their life's work. Yeah, like wiped out. Well, I guess it really wouldn't work if he was making it up, but or if he was fudging some numbers. But I think the, the experiments weren't very good, were they? It was just like, oh, people uh, don't eat as much with smaller plates. I'm like, is, did you research this, or was that just you? You're like, this is a small plate. I wouldn't eat that much. Yeah, I've actually seen this stuff regurgitated in mm-hmm. like TV shows, yeah. like uh, Brain Games and stuff. So, you know, and my kids watch that, so they're learning shoddy science yeah, you as well. Can't... So it's disseminated a lot through the. It, it, it may seem frivolous uh, because of the topic, but it's actually permeated through quite a lot of science. And you and you can't re, you can't redact it or you can't retract it from like people's minds. Like yeah. once it's in there, like they can they can issue all these apologies, but. I mean, let's people look at, still believe it. Let's you know? look at autism and vaccines. They're like, this is discredited. And yeah, some people are like, no, that's, Wait, that's what? one yeah. paper. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so sorry. You mean to, autism? To the, what? Yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry to be oh, the bearer of no. bad news. <laughs> and he, well, I gotta go you get need some to, vaccines. You need bad. to go call Jenny McCarthy right <laughs> now. <laughs> and the problem with, with that is the, the guy that uh, wrote that original paper still, uh, still stands by it. And, you know, uh, even though it's been completely discredited, he goes around. Well, because he's got celebrities who are behind him and it makes him feel important. And so, uh, we will see what happens to this guy because this guy is at the, at the moment claiming that he has done no wrong. Um, the guy from Cornell, the guy from Cornell. So he, he is a, 
big guy. He's been cited more than his papers have been cited more than two, 20,000 times. Mm-hmm. He's had more than 250 of them. Uh, and they have been uh, publicized. He created them basically to be publicized in the, uh, in the news. So uh, the titles of everything or it, the way that the papers will be packaged up, it will be do higher prices make food taste better. Science says yes. That was a Huffington Post article based on some of his data. Uh, Vox actually linked back to uh, one of their um, previous articles that they had published. Uh, so in, in this kind of takedown of this guy, they linked back to an article that they had previously uh, published using his findings. Well, uh, good on them for owning up that, you know, even them, they got scammed by this. I guess. So yeah, uh, yeah, it kind of like goes back to what we were saying last week about other media that's not scientific mm-hmm. and how they're held responsible for what they, because they sometimes twist uh, a published paper to make it a sensational news. So it's actually good that Vox goes back and says, "Yeah, we we actually did this as well. We were on board with his studies, and so we're redacting those ones as well." And then there's another side where in academia there's this uh, pressure to publish. Right. You know, and the fact that he probably started bringing in money and it probably added more and more pressure on him. And not to excuse it, but to just sort right. of give an idea of like where this would even come from. Yeah. You know, it's not to be it's, malicious, but it's, it's more. It's self-perpetuating. Yeah. So uh, he actually shot himself in the foot uh, and got him when people start, started to investigate because, uh, you know, he was he was a big guy. He actually won an ignoble uh Award, which is, you know, the uh, awards each year for kind of uh, seemingly pointless research. Uh, And that was about if you constantly refill uh, bowls of soup, people will just not stop eating them. That was that that was his people will just continue to eat soup so long as it's like the bowl is refilled. A case study at Olive Garden. (laughs) (laughs) And so we ongoing. (laughs) You know, he had a number of other studies that were hugely uh, reported. People who grocery shop hungry buy more calories. That's one I uh, had heard before and not, you know, not even really looked into. Uh, pre-ordering lunch can help you choose healthier food. Uh, the issue here is that what is being stated is not necessarily incorrect. It's just that he has not provided the evidence when you look into his data for this Uh, the way that what he was doing in these studies and what he was making his students do uh, was revealed in a 2016 uh, blog post where he was singing the praises for from of a visiting scholar from turkey and he said that she uh, she was initially given a failed study with no results but uh sagirsi uh his uh visiting scholar analyzed the data over and over until she began discovering solutions that held up he wrote her tenacity ultimately turned the buffet experiment this you know uh data that was collected at an italian restaurant that didn't seem to show any results into four published studies about pizza eating that were all co-written by the visiting scholar and himself and they were widely covered in the press now the 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 issue with this is that they especially for a social science study he's gone and collected used a data set or collected data set, not uh, thought of a hypothesis beforehand to test 
he has gone back and subs, uh, subset out the data to find anything. He's basically creating a hypothesis around the results rather than trying to than creating a hypothesis and then carrying out the study, which Shocking. which is really shoddy uh, science uh, because if you uh, if you're using a p-value of 0.05, which is uh, often considered statistical significance in uh, science and social science, if you used if you examined 20 different variables you then have more than a 50% chance that one of those variables is going to become significant, which is why for uh, good practice in the social sciences is that you state your hypothesis beforehand and then you go to test it. Now, that's not to say that some of these findings aren't true, but uh, it's insane that he would take that data, find some correlation, you know, that uh, people might have eaten less pizza in a certain circumstance and then not retested that hypothesis just use that data set and then gone ahead with publishing the paper it's the equivalent of going what's going to get me published a lot a paper about pizza would mm -hmm. be great there's a market for it people love pizza so he goes and just watches people eating pizza and just like get, collects all that data and then tries to frame a paper around it and if you know statistics, you can shape a story based off of any number that you want, really. Yeah. You know, you don't need that many if yeah. you know how to manipulate the numbers. Yeah, I, like, I don't have much in terms of training in econometrics, but like I do, like you could just go in and like take differences of differences or um, just throw as many, you know, variables in there into your regression. And yeah, something is going to, something's going to poke out, you know, something's going to, which is fine if you retest it on a different data set. Yeah, you call that a pilot. Because <laughs> you, 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 you generate your hypothesis from that data. If you test it on a different data set and it holds true, then you've got a story. If you just <laughs> have your one data set that you've reverse engineered your hypothesis around, that's, that's bad science. Right. Well, like, is it, is, it, would it be, is it that scientist's responsibility or is that the community's responsibility to peer review and check that stuff and try to replicate those so uh the the replication is an important part of it uh the way the paper will be written uh in these contexts is there's no way you would say oh we collected this data then ran these variables he would have said like we wanted to see if pizza eating if it was affected in this context blah 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 oh i mean okay so he's basically lying he's basically reversing the order he's saying that like we had this hypothesis so we collected this yeah. data right. whereas okay. whereas the emails between uh him and colleagues that were released uh show that he, they were diving back into the data to try and find something why are why are people committing fraud always leaving emails well i mean institutional emails they're all collected so yeah so so uh yeah yeah there there's no privacy there like don't don't send anything on any type of how about this just don't do bad things and yeah. then also don't talk about them in email i guess uh there was there was another study uh that where he just mishandled data completely uh where it was he was showing that a group of uh, eight to eleven year olds were more likely to pick a healthy eating option if it had stickers of elmo from sesame street on them now and then later was forced to admit that data was set was not from eight to eleven year olds but in fact from toddlers I don't know any eight-year-old who's into Elmo. Yeah. 
It seems like honestly, it seems like he's going to like people's moms and asking them like, "How do you get how do you get your kids to eat healthy?" And they're like, "I put stickers." He's like, "Let's test that." Like, but he doesn't even really test it. Like he's taking yeah. these like old wives' tales and these rules of thumb and just like random rumors he's heard. And it's like, well, yeah, sure, that makes sense. We'll it's, we'll manipulate some data to say that monet- that works. Monetizing them. Yeah. So uh, Cornell has now removed him um, from from his post. He will no longer be you know, performing any teaching uh, research uh, at all. They found him guilty of academic misconduct in their internal investigation. So uh, you mentioned the publish, uh, the uh, pressure to publish earlier. Actually, uh, Vox sent a survey out to 200 scientists asking if you could change one thing about how science works today. Uh, what would it be? And the clearest response would be the institutions need to get better at rewarding uh, well-conducted failure instead of just prizing publication above all else. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a problem in like this kind of, I guess if you want to call it the market of ideas, you know, you pay for people, people are willing to give money to successes. Yeah. And so it's a, it's, I don't know, from my point of view, it's a very short sighted way of looking at that is if you want to keep people who are doing good research, you have to be able to, you look at this from a long-term perspective and, and make sure they have the funding they need. Even if, you know, they're not really publishing results, they have the methodology, they have the skills, they have the knowledge, and, and they're able to do that type work for their entire career. If I could make an analogy to comedy, right, you don't get, I don't get anything for the jokes that don't work. You know, like if, if my, if like, if my writing is, I get, if I had to put a number on it, maybe like 5%, of everything I write is usable. Uh, you know, you don't get paid anything or you don't get anything for the, the other 95% that don't. You just have to... So a lot... Yeah, a lot of it, I guess, in science and comedy is both the... In both is the ability to hang on long enough on a long enough timeline that your successes can accumulate. You can have that kind of law, law of large numbers where like, well, yeah, if I keep doing this long enough, eventually I'll have enough publications or I'll have enough jokes for this to be worthwhile but in the meantime like and if you're not writing or not running experiments it's not going to get better right no so what you need is bill gates to fund your long-term comedy career well I, yeah i didn't i didn't want to say that but like i am doing but now some, that it's out there i am doing some pretty revolutionary things in comedy uh it no i'm not <laughs> i'm not at all but if bill gates wants to give me some money you know I mean, just the interest that he makes every month and like the money he doesn't do anything to earn. He can give that. Just give <laughs> he that can away. give that to either scientists or or Benny. <laughs> either, either one. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, whatever. Whatever you think is the best use of the money. Uh, for me, that's, I think that's jokes. But, but Yeah, I guess laughter is the best medicine. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got an endorsement here. Yeah. That's, that's what I heard. <laughs> You can use, you can definitely use that. You can put that in your proposal. (laughs) You have that. (laughs) That's yours. So a a rarity for this section, this is actually a case of the media doing a uh, fantastic job. Uh, Stephanie Lee actually reported this story for BuzzFeed uh, initially back in February that people were looking into this guy, Brian uh, Wansink. And um, Brian Resnick and Julia Belu's writing for for Vox, uh, they, they... Published a very good piece here, and then linked back to a piece that one of uh, one of the two of them, Ju- Julie, had previously written about 
this research that now contains, the article is still up there, but it contains a note at the forefront of it saying that this guy's research program, including all the studies mentioned in, in the piece, are under investigation. Uh, so that's a, uh, a rare example of uh, journalism being not only looking into the misconduct of a person, but going back and cor- uh, correcting previous articles because other publications that have talked about misconduct that have published, uh, that have done a similar thing in the past, will have not necessarily always put notes in those articles from years before. They will just be left up as if they are true. So uh, Vox and BuzzFeed did a very good job. So it's not anyone in the media today, but Mr. Brian Wansink himself, formerly of Cornell University that we dub fake news. Fake news. (laughs) (laughs) Let OM help you get the word out on your service, product, or endeavor. Email info at theoamnetwork.com. Welcome back for our final section where we take a journal article from the scientific literature, have it explained to our comedian guest, see what the man can understand. Today's article is from the journal Current Biology. The institution is the Josephine uh, Bay Paul Center for Comparative Molecular Biology at Woods Hole and the Department of Neuroscience at Johns Hopkins. The first author is Eric Edsinger and the anchor author is Gul Dolan. The title of the article is A Conserved Role for Serotonergic Neurotransmission in Mediating Social Behavior in Octopus. So, Benny, just from the title alone... Could you you say say it again? A conserved role... I have a lot on the line here. I did very well the first time I was (laughs) on. I think you'll get it. A conserved role for serotonergic neurotransmission in mediating social behavior in octopus. So what's the serot? What? what? What word was that? Ser- so ser- serotonergic, like serotonin. Okay. All right. So uh, right off the bat, like what's? Yeah. All right. You're dealing. Uh, you're altering uh, brain chemicals in octopuses, so they don't beat each other up as much, or maybe fuck more. I don't know. Ooh. Can I say fuck on this podcast? Yes. Okay. I don't know of any other social social behaviors of of, of octopi. We're not, we're not radio, but um, I will hand over to Nicole now, who selected the the article. You may have actually come across mm-hmm. this in the news media uh, in the past week or two. If you can think back to any octopus related studies. Oh, is this the one where like the octopus like can fit in that little tiny hole in the ship that I saw the, that video on Facebook? No, <laughs> no. It was titled like uh, "Scientists Give Ecstasy to Octopuses," and the result is profound. Uh, it's really not. It really wasn't at ecstasy, or it really wasn't profound. It wasn't profound. Oh, okay. They every story said that they they're just like us. They're just like us on ecstasy. They're not. So there is a concept in the study of evolution called um, homologs. So homologous structures. And we can see it in the fossil record, like how my arm, the structure of my arm is very similar to the structure of a bat wing, which is similar to the structure of something else in another animal. So this paper was doing molecular homologs. So they had run the genome of an octopus and they're like, hey, I wonder if these are very different animals from humans. They're solitary. They don't like to be around other octopuses. They live a very solitary life other than the one time they have sex. That's it. 
but they have homologs in their brains. We're, we think they do to, to human beings. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So they were looking for uh, homologous structures. I think I've already written this paper. I, yeah. I think now that I think about it. it, I wrote the paper, I think. <laughs> so they uh, found something very similar to the receptors that we have. Like octopuses probably don't uh, have a role for serotonin in their lives to the day to day because they're so solitary. But they've got those uh, little pockets that that chemical can fit into. So they're like, hey, what would happen if we gave these octopuses some ecstasy? It was a little more detailed than that, but that's what they did. Uh, and so they created an experiment. So I've got, like, similar to a rat. So I've got a box and three sections. The middle section, there's nothing. Side section, there's like an object, you know, like a ball or a toy or something. And then the third section, there's another octopus in a cage. So all of the news articles are like, oh, yeah, they're just like people. But what really happened was whether it was a male or a female that was put into that structure, if there was a male in that side room, they didn't want anything to do with it. They're like, fuck this. I'm not I'm going to go see what this ball's all about. But later when they got dosed with uh, with ecstasy, that was the only time that they were interested in the male octopus, because if there was a female octopus in there, male or female would go and check it out. They would be interested in the female octopus, okay. but it took ecstasy to make the male octopus interesting enough for both females and males. But the whole point of it is you've got these homologous structures. It did make them more curious. It did make them more interested. There was, once they had the ecstasy, they would either play with that object for a long time or they would investigate that other octopus. My favorite octopus was the one who just splayed out all eight of its arms and sort of danced in the water by itself. Which is interesting because they've got eight brains, mm. basically. Because ours is a central nervous system. An octopus has like three-fifths or little bits of its brain controlling each arm. So it's a totally different structure from us. And so they're just trying to see, does serotonin make us more social? And they did get to see it in this one particular experiment. But there's some inconsistencies because if you put me in a room where it's one thing and you put me in that same room on drugs, I mean... It's not a novel environment. They've already been in it before. So you can't really extrapolate like all these huge uh, conclusions. But it, it is interesting because this very asocial animal, when you give it some serotonin drugs, or it's in, you know, like it manifests more serotonin in their um, nervous systems, it makes them more apt to be interested in the world around them and each other in a way that they wouldn't be. It's a bit like my dating life. Just always dosing yourself with well, no. ecstasy. It takes ecstasy or- <laughs> for someone to get me out of the cage. Aww. <laughs> Aww. So when they were testing it, like they had, they used this, they used the same octopuses. Mm-hmm. And you're saying they had already been in the box before. They had already been in the box. So before, some of them, before some of them, the treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them had already gone and, and played with the ball. Mm-hmm. And, and then when you put them on ecstasy, well, they've already played with the ball. like Exactly. So it's okay. like, okay. But that, that made them more interested to go up to the male octopus, which they wouldn't do that before. But what I thought was also interesting in this paper was they were talking about very social communities like honeybees and carpenter ants. And they don't have this receptor at all. They don't have any serotonin. But bugs mm. are a whole different thing. So they were saying that yeah. maybe there was just, you know, the there's a different neurotransmitter or something completely different. But it it makes the case that the evolutionary tree, yeah, there was something that was very similar to us. And wasn't it 500 million years ago that mm-hmm. the, the divergence was between yep. humans and octopuses? 
it's like we they have the very similar like the receptor itself was um, most like the human receptor, right. but the protein was a little different. So uh, kind of like our appendix, like maybe it used to serve a function and maybe it did serve a function for octopuses, but like, or maybe it was just something they developed that. Maybe they have an up that that's what they need to figure out. Maybe they have an upsurge of it when they're mating. I don't know. Oh, well, that would be something they should have checked beforehand. <laughs> right. It gets pretty wild when octopuses make babies. This is your octopus on drugs. Yeah. <laughs> Any questions? Yeah. Uh, so what am I doing now? So now, uh, so that you've been given the study. Right. Now you must tell us back in abridged form. Mm-hmm. What, what do these researchers do? So they took some octopuses and they put them in a box and they had some options. They could either go play with a ball or they could either go check out uh, another octopus. Now, if the other octopus that was already in the box was a female... They had no problem going up, right? They would go to mm-hmm. either the ball or the female, mm-hmm. but they wouldn't go. They wouldn't go hang out with a dude octopus if it was just hanging out, uh, unless they were given ecstasy. Yes, which may show that ecstasy affects similar neurotransmitters in octopuses as does humans, mm-hmm. in that they it has same similar results making them more social but there are some holes in this that uh provide plausibility that this is not really what was going on in in the experiments at all or it's like you can't make that huge conclusion you know it's like it it is providing evidence to that but there needs to be more because this is only four octopuses and a very controlled study so there's a lot more that needs to be done but it is interesting there's a a lot more ecstasy that we need to give to a lot more octopuses we need to try some weed you know maybe some vape oil um (laughs) Also, other sea creatures. Yeah. Megalodons. Throw a sea otter in there, see what happens. <laughs> dolphins. Well, I think the, the eventual Dolphins are one, close to humans, right? I don't know if I want a dolphin involved in this. No, they get real rowdy. They get, yeah. <laughs> they're frisky. <laughs> yeah, there are like coves in the world that are known, like if you want to get it on with dolphins. Ew, yeah. Nope. Mm-mm. Yeah. Nope. But isn't this where this octopus study is going? Like eventually it's like, and then our researcher got naked in a pool and we just dosed it with MD- MDMA and oh, put some octopuses in there. This is all aimed at the tentacle. It's hentai. hentai. Okay, yeah. This is where I uh, submit the fun fact that one of uh, the eight legs of a male octopus is its penis. Wait, what? <laughs> oh, he's interested now. Are you kidding me? No, no, yeah, one of its yeah, one of its uh, eight legs or eight arms uh, contains the penis. Is it always the same arm? No. Oh, actually, like a, I don't know. It's like a roulette. Wait, so like <laughs> if you know. take one octopus, the penis can move from arm to arm? No, I mean it stays no, no, on no, that okay. arm, but like I don't know if it's always like the third from the left. You know what I mean? Like, well, I think but, that depends on how you're looking at the octopus. Right? <laughs> It's like Russian roulette. I don't know. Do <laughs> octopuses have like a front and a back? I mean, they've got eyes, so that'll uh, give you an idea. Okay. But they'll rip off their own arms, and the arm will just slither away so that they can escape. But can they rip off the penis? Which they've done during mating. If they're like, I can't, I can't handle what's about to happen. I'm just going to throw my dick at her. I and don't. Then leave. <laughs> I can't deal with this commitment. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, I, you, that know, is, you, you take it. That, <laughs> I'm not going to shame some octopuses. I'm not going to kink shame right. octopuses. I'm not going to yuck your yum. Not today. <laughs> not today. Not on, not on this my podcast. Watch. 
in my own time, maybe. <laughs> so did I get the gist of? You got it. Fantastic. It's, yeah. yeah. No. I, th- I think you got the, you got the gist very well, and that is that is a wonderful fact. Uh, so Benny, now it's just up to you. Can you match Nicole's fact? Oh, I get to give my own fact now. Okay. Uh, first, I want to give credit to where I found this. I've been watching a series of YouTube videos. Uh, by a guy named John Boys, who is, um, he's a writer for SB Nation, but he has two YouTube series that are very, both very fun, if you like nerdy stuff. One is Chart Party. He looks at sports, and specifically, he looks at sports statistics and how they tell story. Uh, and this one actually came from a series he did called um, Pretty Good, which are just, most of them are sports stories as well, but not as statistically based. Um this one has to do with the 1904. Here's a whole video about the 1904 Olympic marathon. Uh, it's one of the most disastrous sporting events of all time. You should look it up if you're interested into like awful things that have happened. <laughs> but probably the weirdest thing was that un- unbeknownst to like everyone who was running in the marathon, um, there was a experiment that was being conducted on them. Um, the entire... Uh, length of the marathon uh, track uh, they only had one stop for water and it was like a well it was in st louis so it was just like it was a suburb of st louis so it was just a well that went into the ground and um a bunch of people got sick for various reasons lack of good water was one of those um several people almost died um but the guy let me pull up his name so you know how much to hate this guy He basically uh, had this idea that you could purposely hy- dehydrate people and they could survive much longer than you would think they could. So he was doing this experiment, experiment on these, perf- these athletes to see how they could do if they were severely dehydrated. Uh, his name is James E. Sullivan. Oh, wow. He's the chief organizer of the Olympics, uh, and he's now in the Olympic Hall of Fame. So it was a bizarre, bonkers turn of events, the 1904 Olympics. The guy who won the Boston Marathon the, uh, the year before only made it two blocks before he started vomiting because it was like 90 degrees outside, like into 100 degree temperatures with like heat exhaustion. There was a guy who like wasn't invited, just showed up from Cuba. They let him run. He was in, he was seriously in street clothes he just cut he cut the pants leg off his pants he finished fourth place (laughs) (laughs) there were two guys there who had fought in the boer war who were there at the world's fair reenacting the boer war and they just needed people so they let them run they finished in the top 10 um also they were the two um I don't want. I don't want to get this wrong, but they were two of the first ever African Americans to participate in the Olympics, and they were. It was just because they were there accidentally. Um, they almost awarded the gold medal to a guy who um, got in a car, like he had quit the race, and he got in a car, and his car broke down, and he's like, "Well, I'm just going to run back to the stadium." And when he arrived, he didn't tell anyone that he had given up. They were just going to give him the gold medal. Uh, there's so much other weird stuff going on about the 1904 um, Olympics. Check out the video, John Boyce. It's it's crazy. Also, his other stuff is really good. If you like, if you like this podcast, I think you would like his stuff. That sounds interesting. 
That is oh, that is great. That's crazy. <laughs> that is a great fact and a, well, perf- a perfect way yeah. to round out the show. I do, of course, give my guests a chance if they wish to to plug anything they've got going on. Nicole, do you have anything to plug at all? Um, just, you know, if you need some triple antibiotic ointment, the Dollar Tree is there for you. Dollar Tree triple <laughs> antibiotics, perfect. It's just as good as Neosporin. I'm sh- Don't I'm spend sh- your money. I'm sure that Benny will, uh, Benny will uh, make up uh, for that with his plugs. <laughs> uh, what would you like to plug today, Benny? Uh, so the Blessy Liars, November 18th, um, if you're a fan of Kids in the Hall, uh, Kevin McDonald from Kids Kids in the Hall is going to be in town. He's going to be a, doing a show with us at Stop 345. Awesome. Um, so he's going to be doing stand-up, and then uh, we're going to be doing some sketches. It's part of a kind of a workshop. So if you're interested in doing a workshop, he's going to be teaching people how to, uh, the Kids in the Hall method of using improv to write sketches. Uh, and those sketches that get written over that weekend will be in the show as well. So it'll be him doing stand-up, the sketches, uh, and then finally he'll do some improv with us at the end. Uh, so November 18th, we'll uh, check us out on Facebook. We'll have information on how to get involved in that. Uh, but yeah, November 18th, stop 345, Kevin McDonald from Kids in the Hall. Great. Fantastic. Well, thank you both for coming on the show today thank you for having me uh, we have a couple of little goodies uh, shangri-la gives our guests a one-time 10 percent oh, awesome. discount if you uh, if you're a fan of vinyl but uh that has been our show awesome. today so uh thank you very much for coming on i uh, hope to have you back at some point and good, good night bye guys <laughs> Dr. Heckle is an OAM Network production recorded at the Crosstown Concourse in Memphis, Tennessee. Your hosts were Mark Brimble and Naraj Trevetti. Guests were Nicole Kolinkchik and Benny Elbows. The show is produced by Mark Brimble, Hunter Sandlin, and Gil Worth. Special thanks to Lauren Riggins and the Surf Memphis Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to get in touch about appearing on the show or topics you'd like us to cover, email us at drhecklepod at gmail.com. Just a final note again, today's episode was sponsored by Memfo Music Fest. Head to our Instagram at Dr. Hecklepod to find out how to win a pair of tickets. TheOAMNetwork.com Power to the podcast.